Hi everybody and welcome to um, the second Doom Ray of the week, um, following up on, on a game-centric week. Uh, obviously we talked to Lars earlier on in the week uh, and how, how Frontiers was going, um, the answer being obscenely well. Um, and um, on top of all that, I feel we should probably make an announcement and do a little bit of a self-promotion. I feel we can be guilty of it. Um, that me and Toby work for the same company, uh, Flix Interactive, based in Birmingham, and uh, we got into Eurogamer with our game Eden Star today. Um, so uh, everybody should come along and, and meet me and Toby in person and be blown away by how charismatic we are in person. <laughs> or, be, or be massively underwhelmed. Yeah, or just be like, wow, you're exactly how I thought you would be. <laughs> Um, slightly awkward and a little bit weird, um, yeah. but um, but yeah. Well, well. First of all, say hello, Toby. Hello. Um, you don't do the Ashley thing, which is probably a good thing. Um, we haven't been joined by Ashley this evening. Um, the the week before we weren't joined by him because he got a new job, and this week it's because we're recording late because I had my parents over for dinner, um, and uh, and he it's past his bedtime. So. <laughs> So, um, so no Ashley this week. Um, so, um, it is just me and Toby, but, um, you know, we'll, so, we'll soldier on. We will. For, for we will. you. We shall, people. we shall endeavour. Um, <laughs> it's like, this is our Everest or something. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, as I touched on at the end of, um, last week's, uh, podcast, um, this week's episode is, is a gunpoint special. Um, and following up on on that, we're, we're going to be touching on Shadowrun as well. Um, so we're going to try and keep it tight on time um, because normally we just babble for fifty minutes till I say stop. Um, but we're actually going to try and get through <laughs> through two topics this week. Um, so yeah, so you know, um, Gunpoint was something that that I started playing. Um, purely for these podcasts, um, and I know Toby, it was something that that you've been kind of following from from its uh, conception, really. Yeah, from well, yeah, from a reasonable way down the line. Um, it, apparently, in total, it had been in development for three years because Tom Francis was doing it part time, basically. Um, but yeah, I've been following it for a reasonable amount of time, just because it had you know it had a really nice charm to it that kind of uh, engaged me, and I was really interested to find out more about it hmm. and um so well first of all i think it's worth saying to people who don't know about gunpoint um it's a stealth based puzzle platformer i think is is the way it's kind of described yeah. um the and, description i've got here is a 2d stealth game about rewiring things and punching people there we are some depth um so yeah so you know um it's kind of it's quite a simple premise, but then in a in a kind of very complex way. I guess that's kind of the way I, th- I think about it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of kind of the best indie games. Um, I mean, it's funny because we watched indie game in the movie um, last night. Uh, yeah, last night. Uh, yeah. Um, for for me, about the millionth time. I don't know what time it was for you, Toby. But um, but you know, Fez was a kind of a similar thing in that um, you know we were talking about a lot of these kind of indie games that seem to be really successful are based on this formula of taking kind of a simple gameplay um, mechanics and then kind of um, using them in complex ways, basically. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, challenging the gamer to, to 
to work out how these mechanics then fit into the scenarios that they're put into, um, as opposed to kind of introducing more and more and more and more, um, like like a lot of games do. But um, but yes, yeah, so, you know, Gunpoint, like like you said, was made by Tom Francis, um, who was a writer at PC Gamer, I believe, or was yes. a writer at PC Gamer before he became rich. <laughs> I think he, uh, I think Gunpoint has now officially sold well enough that he doesn't have to worry about doing that to pay the rent. Um, That's good. Which is he good. I think. That. Yeah, he does. Oh, especially if you've played Gunpoint, he definitely deserves it. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's a bit of a Mike Bithell, isn't he? He's yeah. uh, he's kind of made enough to to you know mean that he can concentrate on his games. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So well, my initial impressions coming at it from kind of a you know a noob standpoint um, was I was just blown away by it. I absolutely loved it. Um. You hit the nail on the head. The word that sums this game up is charm to me. Mm. Um, it's uh, it has this kind of jazz soundtrack with this kind of nineteen forties um, film noir detective um, who has frog pants, um, and every good game should have frog pants. And it's not um, just frog pants; it's the frog pants and the trousers, the trench coat that lets you fall from any height and not take damage. Yeah, and and the, the thing two that, in tandem makes the <laughs> makes the whole thing really. Pretty um, much. But my it has my favourite introduction to a game, um, in that you the first thing that happens is you're kind of smashed out of this window very unceremoniously, um, and then you play the first level, and then you're shown how you're smashed out of the window. And you I win think... a pair of frog pants. <laughs> yeah, it, it sets itself up looking like this whole very serious in media red start. You think that someone's thrown him out of a building, and then it comes to forty-eight seconds earlier, and it's just <laughs> you had frog pants and you just jumped out the window. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I think well, that that's one thing you know that that I think is really really worth mentioning, and something that came across to me so early on in playing the game was the sense of humour. Like there's. There's not many games that make me kind of audibly laugh, mm. um, or, or as the kids would say, laugh out loud. Um, but you know, this was a game that that did have me chuckling to myself quite often, um, and and it's funny because mainly the dialogue made me laugh. Yeah, um, the the dialogue's really good, and the dialogue. It's funny because when I was following the early like beta video releases of of the game. I saw a lot about oh, this is how the game is going to play and and what it's like in game, but it was a complete surprise to me then when I came to when it was released to be playing it and getting the little dialogue because you get some multiple choice dialogue sections where which you have with your um, clients because you're a freelance spy in between each level and some of them and some of the responses that you can pick are just pure genius mm. um, and it, it goes to further cement the nice. The, the mood and the the, the feel of what with just a really good really good humor and what I love about it is it has this kind of you know it's clearly inspired by you know like film noir and um, oh definitely you know but then the dialogue is completely unfilm noir <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. just like it's as far away from film noir as it can possibly be like when I saw the initial gun uh, gunshot <laughs> screenshot um mm. I was waiting for this kind of you know gruff kind of the city that fled as a pancake before <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff and it yeah. was just like it is just kind of this very middle class english humor 
that's, it, it you does know, have a real Britishness about this game. It, I it think. does have a hideous. It, it's hideously British, um, and and it's funny because I was wondering whether that would alienate people um, because the sense of humour is so sarcastic and um, you know so kind of rooted in that British humour. But um, yeah, it's you know I, I'm glad to see that that's translated into success for him because I think you know sometimes being too British can harm games. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's nice when when that kind of charm of British humour comes out and translates. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, the, the other thing um, that I think struck me was I just love the soundtrack. Yeah, the, the <laughs> soundtrack, soundtrack has... It was really bizarre because I was, I was playing the game and then I was... I think I was watching something else while I started the game open and just whatever I was watching, it still had this kind of jazzy, bluesy soundtrack all the way through. Like, oh, this is good, really good. Oh, wait, I'm still listening to the gunpoint music. <laughs> um, um, me. Yeah, and, you know, I think my only regret with buying it was uh, I saw that the... I saw it in the Steam summer sale and they had the one with kind of all the previous builds and, and I missed that and ended up paying full price for games. And Why do I always... I always miss the games I want in the summer sale. <sighs> I think it's one of those games where you can happily pay full price and not regret any any penny of it. To be no, I, I, I just wanted the I just wanted like the the oh the twenty five pound edition. Um, mm. And it's it's funny actually because the the game we're going to talk about later, Shadowrun. Uh, I did exactly the same with, thing with, but we'll, but we'll get to that later. We'll get we'll get to that later. So <laughs> um, um, go. Uh, with I guess like the the natural kind of step moving on is to talk about. Um, the sort of brilliance of the puzzling in this game because we've, we've spoken about almost everything but the 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 real I guess key like selling mechanic mm. of the game, which is that you can rewire uh, everything in the buildings that you're infiltrating are on various um, like circuit breakers. All the electronics mm. are on different circuits, and you can hook one thing to another when you're in this kind of blue uh, blueprint mode, which you can just uh, enter into any time. And this means you can rewire switches from light from being able to switch on the light to being able to open a door, mm. um, and, and that's basically what really facilitates your ability to navigate through the levels and get to your objective. But what this does really well as a puzzler is that it's incredibly emergent. There is, and this is where I feel really bad playing the game because I'm a bit rubbish at puzzle games, mm. and the solutions, especially when it's games like this where there are multiple solutions, and you can be almost as clever as you can be in your solutions. Mm. I always feel like I'm taking the absolute worst, like least clever solution through. I know what you mean. Yeah, and I, it's it, it's one of those things where when when I was playing it, I almost felt cheap for some of the yes, ways I was. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. Um, <laughs> Very much the same. Because then then I started going on YouTube and seeing you know how some people and it was just, I'm I am blown away by the ingenuity of people, um, and you know I, I think it's worth saying that that to me. Um, when I kind of when I first kind of flicked to this, you know, um, crosslink mode, mm. um, I was like, okay, so this is a two D Arkham Asylum. Yes, it that's, does very much feel like that. that. That's what I kind of thought. But then, what what I found so amazing was something that started off almost as as a gimmick in in its initial few levels, mm. um, becomes something so creative in, in yeah. later levels like you know you like you say I feel like I'm cheating the game because there is it adds so much depth to the game 
Um, and, you know, just the, the kind of trickery and, and the satisfaction you get from... Orchestrating from... some huge, you know, series of events that gets you to your goal in sort of yeah. one move. Yeah, yeah, and, that, you know, it's, it's, it's that thing, isn't it, of... Um, it's kind of working in tandem that the platform and the puzzle aspect that I found so interesting. And it's funny because it seems to be, um, that this is kind of a, um, a, a pattern in the success of indie games is this kind of puzzle platformer. So mm. if you think of, uh, Limbo, Fez, Braid, you know, games like that, that they're all kind of based around this, this puzzle platformer. Um, and it, it's funny because it's almost like they're all heralding back to a to a forgotten well not a forgotten time in gaming but you know a, a, a time in gaming that has passed you know a long time ago now they're kind of retrospective games mm. um, but then they use the kind of the current technology to add layers and depth to those games that that you couldn't have possibly put in before. Um, you know, like I, I think the really nice um, from indie game the movie when when Phil Fish said um, this game is based on like those kind of urban legends. They've mm. kind of left right. You know, if you stand in the corner of a room and jump on a desk and do left right up down circle, you're transported to a you know another planet. A time um, before the internet made all the solutions readily findable these sort of things you heard by word of mouth as opposed yeah. to just going on I mean game facts is a wonderful thing and the, the amount of time you can tell it you can tell the worth of the game by how much the kind of the community people who like it put into writing things like FAQs for that game but it was a, a an almost a simpler but also more difficult time when you had to actually discuss or find people who had done it and and could tell you about these little hidden gems. But I have to say I miss it. Like I mm. Like I said to you the other day, the hours that I spent trying to get to the island in Goldeneye that you can yeah. see from the dam. And I was convinced that you could get there, man. And people were saying, like, oh. And what I loved was, this was my favourite room. It was obviously on the back of the Goldeneye box. Um, there was the harpoon gun. Yes. That wasn't in the game. <laughs> and what I loved was, everybody said that the harpoon gun was on the island. The island. So it was like... This is like this is turning like the hero's journey now. You know, you've mm. got you've got you've got your goal. Like it's not just like you can get to the island. It's like and it made sense. Like that's the thing. Is like all urban legends. They're kind of based mildly in fact. It's yeah. like well, why would why would they have a game? You know, why would they have a, a gun on the back of a game that isn't in the game? Like that's just ridiculous. <laughs> so of course it made sense that they hid it on an island that you had to go to, wait for a certain amount of time, our job comes over on a boat, picks you up. And just, of course that makes sense. Of course that makes sense. <laughs> just ridiculous when you think back, but it was nice to dream. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that I loved about, about Gunpoint was when I started going through all these YouTube videos and all the different websites, was seeing the scenarios that people get to play out and these kind of... Um, you know these hidden gems within levels that people could have managed to kind of unlock through through various uh, kind of uh, cross link device link ups and so on was just it just blew my mind and it you know it was so nice to kind of for a single player game to generate that level of community. Mm. But I think that comes very much as a result of the 
emergent nature of like the puzzles because mm-hmm. everyone could do it in a different way. I don't think that if, if there was only one solution to all of the levels, I don't think you'd get anywhere near the same amount of, you know, kind of people all showing their ways of doing it on YouTube. But just the nature of the game has encouraged that, that, yeah, yeah. that level of community just straight up. And that's amazing and wonderful and amazing to see in, in, in the gaming because that's, I feel like, the thing that you're doing it for is to try and create that sense of community. Yeah. However your game, uh, you know, breeds it, you're trying to, 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 to initiate that. Yeah. And, and I think as well, you know, um, it's that thing of, you know, the, the the wonderful thing about about indie game developers is, um, you know, I, I feel that you know if you look at the studio that we work in as well, we get to make the games that we want to make. Mm. And what I love about games like Gunpoint is they would just never get released under any other, you know, banner like you because. It's so obscure, you know, like as a pitch, like, oh, you get to rewire a building. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm not giving you any money. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's those kind of games that could only have been made by your, by, you know, by one person. Well, yeah. one person's initial design, I think, in total, the number of people who worked there was one, two, four, five, six, seven, uh, seven in total. Yeah, seven mm. people in total through various... It's worth um, saying, though, three of those people were on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, three people did soundtrack work for that. Yeah. Um, there were two artists doing backgrounds, one artist doing the characters and level art, and then obviously Tom Francis doing all the design code and mm. uh, words. Mm. Um, oh, another little thing that I, I remember watching uh, was he did a... There was a submission... Um, apologies if anyone can just hear my Skype noise. Um, he did a he did a YouTube video where he said I, I'm, I'm looking for a noise for the for the for the crosslink, mm. and and sent people to a place where you could make these kind of cool digitalized sounds and just picked a load of the ones that he got sent that he really liked and did a video on them even if he hadn't yet decided which mm. one was actually going to go in but it was a really nice way of including people and it's a really it's a really funny video just hearing the game uh, creator um, listening to these sounds and some of them are just bonkers <laughs> way to describe them but um, I think that that's that's you know such a key part of, of um, developing that sense of community in indie gaming is to you know if <clears throat> if you think of like in fact Fez is the only exception I can think of in this hmm. is that most games now kind of successful indie games and this may be this may be kind of related to the the rise of of kickstarter but um so many games allow their 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 audience their players um to take ownership of an aspect of the game or you know like even if it's just really basic stuff like you know naming npcs and stuff like that but you know people people want to be involved in the things they love like people and like you said you know people want to feel part of something they want to be part of a community and you know what? A, what a lovely kind of elegant way to get people involved and get people being creative, mm. and you know, impacting on on your game. And you know, as as a part of that, you also get a really cool video out of it. Like, I think some people get a bit um, don't, don't or some uh, I guess some developers aren't, aren't so keen on, on the idea on the idea because I think it feels like there's no there's only one way you can do it and it means that you kind of sacrifice how you make your game and, and it ends up being made essentially by community because 
you want to involve people. But that mm. really doesn't have to be the case. Like there are loads of ways you can get people involved, and you you know you listed a couple of them. And so it's not all just necessarily like oh I have to compromise my game by going putting putting features to a vote and saying which would you rather have, mm. because then that does remove some of the like, the personality of. Uh, your creation as, as an indie game, as an indie developer or a group of indie developers, mm. um, and it's also worth remembering, as as we discussed today, that if you give audience a choice, sometimes they don't make the right choice, <laughs> or the choice that you want. You know, yeah. right can be so subjective, but yeah, yeah. and that's and that's a thing. Um, it's the risk you take, though. But but it is. It's that thing of measuring measuring the loss of creative control over a certain aspect of your game against the um, the benefits of, of allowing a community to take creative control of an aspect of a game, I guess, and mm. kind of offsetting that. Um, and, you know, because it's... And then, but I guess then the, the flip side of that are games like Fez and Braid, where it was just like, I'm locking myself in a room and not listening to anybody. Yeah. Like, Fez, Fez and Braid are two of my favourite games of all time, so... They no... have those, both have that really, really strong sense of authorship. They are mm. very much the product of one person's mm. absolute vision. And I don't think either of those games would have worked as anything other than that. Some no. games are good enough that, well, not good enough, some games can be made by a group of people and some games have to be one person they just they can't be they can't be done another way um and yeah and some of the complete opposite where one person would look at it and go well not gonna make that (laughs) yeah and you know i think the thing is as well is that like you say with that authorship um it's risky because the you know the the number of kind of true indie auteurs you can probably count on one or two hands at most yeah um, it's, but, it's a really hard thing because obviously you're then, you know, the, the all the pressure of doing the entirety of development falls on one person, and that yeah. can be a lot to that's a lot to bear. Um, yeah. It's certainly easier to bear that load when you're working with a group, a large group of people. Yeah, and um, I'm going to use that in a kind of radio DJ like manner to uh, to move across the Shadowrun, which was made hmm. by a large group of people. Did you see yes. what I did there, Toby? Did you very see nice. what I did? I've um, got another segue that we can use as well later on once we're uh, smooth. Um, smooth. I don't. I, I think maybe head a, bit more, a bit much though. I think maybe us pointing out the fact that we're putting in segues um, possibly undermines the fact we're using segues because what we're doing is bringing the conversation to a grinding halt by pointing out that we we, we, we do segues. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so um, so the, the second game this week uh, is um, one that I've been following for a while, um, and I know, Toby, you kind of um, stumbled across, and I went, my God, buy it, it's amazing. Um, and I did, and it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, so there we go, <laughs> which shows that my opinion should always be trusted. Um, so, <laughs> at all times. Categorically, without without question. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, you know, Shadowrun Returns um, is a follow-up to one of my favourite RPGs of all time, um, which was uh, Shadowrun on the SNES, which came out in 1993, I believe. Um and um, basically, Shadowrun is—it's uh, very, very, very heavily influenced by my 
favorite, well, one of my favorite films of all time, which is Blade Runner. Um, and, um, you know, it's a, it started off as a, um, a tabletop, uh, RPG, um, you know, similar kind of vein to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and from this universe has kind of spawned, um, these games and, and the latest of that is, is, um, is returns. Is returns, yeah, uh, which which is an apt name for something that is returning, um, and uh, how they thought of it just blows my mind. Um, it must have taken years. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and you know this was funded through Kickstarter um, by one of, um, Was it? I'm trying to remember if the other Shadow or if Shadowrun Online was successfully funded, but it was definitely not the only Shadowrun game. Uh, no. To be on Kickstarter recently. Well, well, Shadowrun Returns was was a hugely successful uh, Kickstarter. Um, mm. It made um, one point eight million dollars, I think, and they were, they were looking for like four hundred million. So four hundred million, four hundred thousand, four hundred million. They felt short. Heck of a stretch goal. <laughs> but yeah, so they were they were looking for four hundred thousand and uh, and came out with one point eight million. And I think you know a lot of that is is based on um, people. You know, I'm I'm a D and D player uh, for my sins. Um, and you said it's, like it's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, but there's not many opportunities. Kind of, um, you know, kind of, um, kind of devout. RPG players, um, you know, tabletop RPG players, um, they don't get many opportunities to play to have that experience on a computer. And the last, the last one that I can really think of that was, um, you know, kind of a true representation of that was games like Icewind Dale, Baldur's Gate, those kind of things. Um, yeah, they were very much a game adaptation of of the tabletop game. They felt like a tabletop game. Yeah, they just and- happened to be on a computer. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is that Baldur's Gate goes one step further in that you can kind of look at all the dice rolls and all that kind of stuff. And I guess in, mm. in many ways, the, the ultimate um, the ultimate kind of RPG experience is, is Warcraft. You know, like that 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 is role-playing. It's, it's kind of, well, you know, the, the MMO is role-playing. It's kind of finest in a lot of ways. But I'm a massive fan of offline games. Normally yes. because I don't tend to get on with people I'm playing with. Not because I don't get on with people, but just because I don't care as much as they do, clearly. Um, um, which, uh, which which definitely breeds bad feelings uh, in online communities. When you're kind of going, don't worry, if we lost, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so, so, yeah, so, um, well, it, it's worth mentioning that I downloaded it. I booted it up and was just completely drawn in by it. I was just blown away by it. Um, I love the art style. Um, I love the kind of mix of that that two D, three D um, graphics. The isometric is, view. It's, yeah, yeah, the the two D art is stunning. I love it. Um, I love the universe. I've always loved the universe. Um, I mean, you know, I think you hit the hit the nail on the head um, saying you'd recently read uh, Neuromancer. Yeah, I literally read Neuromancer. I think I finished Neuromancer on the Thursday, bought Shadow on the Friday, and the first thing I did was boot it straight up and made a character as a Decker and was like, well, this is just Neuromancer. Yeah. Um, and as someone who, I think my favourite genre of all time of anything is cyberpunk. I'm a huge fan of, mm. you know, you've already cited Blade Runner in terms of, like, you know, video games. You, you know, you've mm. got your, your, your Deus Ex. Is that, that the original Deus Ex is one of my favourite games of all time. Mm. And this is, you know... This is a party-based or D&D-style tabletop game, turn-based on a grid system. Oh, 
and it's cyberpunk universe and it's a proper it's a really good cyberpunk universe it feels like it should it's high tech but really gritty and um and real and it's all the kind of the slummy bits of mm. humanity and and the initial i mean i'm going to kind of go off keep just keep going here and the initial the initial campaign storyline for shadow and returns it begins with with you doing a lot of um Chase, you know, going from crime scene to crime scene, uh, because there's a, a serial killer on 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 out at large, and you're uh, you you happen to coincide paths with some people who are investigating this. It, I'm also a really big fan of, you know, um, murder mysteries doesn't sound about mm. the, the kind of crime crime scene solving stuff, and yeah. and it's really interesting that you know you're kind of you're, you're going around this and there's. Having just finished watching, I was just finished watching Hannibal season one, quite close before this. So was, mm. he's even called the Ripper. <laughs> yeah, he's even called the Ripper, and he takes organs. It was, uh, yep. it was, it was very. Um, this is a collection of things that I'm really into, and especially right now, of just seeing things that have really got me excited about these genres and yeah. Shadow yeah. is just all of that. And and I think that you know the thing is, if people haven't read Neuromancer, uh, it's by William Gibson, it is. Um, and it's the it's, first of a trilogy. Yeah, and it is a phenomenal book. It is basically what The Matrix was based on. Um, mm. And um, I think I'm right in saying it won the what they always call the science fiction triple crown of the Nebula Award, the Philip K. Dick Award, and the Hugo Award, um, which which not many books do. And it, it is a phenomenal book. And um, the influences that it had on... Everything science to do with science fiction in general is just huge. Yeah, it's just massive. And the thing, the thing that I think is is really worth saying is, if you are into computers in any way, sense or form, computer science, computer games, oh, you owe it to yourself to read Neuromancer because there is there is so much in it that that clearly influenced so much. You know, like you say, Deus Ex. Um, you know, um, well, just absolutely anything set in a cyberpunk yeah. universe or a science fiction universe. Um, the way it deals with kind of um, the, the computerization of humanity and all that kind of stuff it, it's just it's a phenomenal book but with with Shadowrun I think you know like you say to me it, it represents um, a combination of so many different things that I love like I love turn based combat um, on grid systems I'm a massive fan of kind of Final Fantasy Tactics and Fire Emblem yeah Final Fantasy Tactics is my favourite Final Fantasy game of all time um, yeah um I'd say FF7, but I'll... I'll uh... FF7, story-wise, there are, there are Final Fantasy games that I really enjoyed, but in terms of the one that had the most rewarding combat for me, it was Tactics, because yeah, I love the... the Well, it's strategy, team-based strategy. Mm. The whole, like, two-action system is really common mm. that Shadowrun uses. You know, you've got, you can shoot twice, or you can move and shoot, or you can mm. use an ability, and all the... you know Because there's a lot of... This is Shadowrun. If you're not familiar with the, the universe, it's cyberpunk, but there's all your... Your metahumans, so you've got your elves, your orcs, your trolls. You've got magic in there. You've got like shamanism. So you, you know you can have a party of people who have a really eclectic mix of mm. um, abilities and kind of character to them, um, mm. and that all comes together in the you know in the in the fights. And I think it's it's worth saying as well in that I adore games where reloading is a decision. Yes. I, I don't know what it is. I have this really weird love for, like... I have, I've never been in a firefight, fortunately. Um, <laughs> um, um, I don't know if my demeanour would say otherwise, but... Um, <laughs> um, 
But I always hate this thing in games where you kind of, you know, like you just unleash a clip and then you reload within like half a second and just keep firing. And it's this thing of like reloading. The decision to reload should be a tactical decision Hmm. because what you are doing is you are saying for the time it takes me to reload, I have no defense. You know, like I, you know, because in a gunfight is that thing of kind of offense is defense. That's why they have a thing called suppressing fire. Um, (laughs) um, But, um, but I do love the fact that, you know, to reload is, is, is a decision that needs to be made. And one of my favorite um, ever mechanics for that was Gears of War. Um, yes. the, the, um, the active kind of, reload. Yeah, yeah I, I adored that. Um, and it was so satisfying when you got it right. Um, but yeah, no. With the combat, to me, is actually, for, for an RPG, the combat in Shadowrun is probably the standout point in it. Mm. Um, because I, I, you, the combat actually takes place over surprisingly large areas for yeah for for an RPG like that. You know, normally the the combat's quite constrained in terms of of the size of, small, of the combat small areas. rooms, or you're kind of locked off to not be able to go very far. Yeah, whereas this has a lot of cover based stuff. Um, yeah. you know, a lot of kind of movement between cover. The other thing that I like is very often, um, you. If you move into cover, the the fight or or the battle um, kind of turns. Um, so, you know, with, with Final Fantasy Tactics, that they, they used to do it where you'd kind of get to a point where you were like, "I'm clearly winning here," and then something would happen that would completely change the direction the and the and the um, mood of the fight. So, just a classic example is in the early point of the game, you're kind of on the offensive towards a, a gang. And you've got two members and you're moving up towards this gang and then you are flanked. Yeah. And I I love the fact that it sounds really basic, but the amount of kind of turn based games that don't have that, that that you just kind of, you know, fight through and then that's done, then you fight through the next kind of swarm. Um yeah. and yeah, I just thought the combat was amazing. I think but the other thing that I really like about you know, the combat thing is uh, is that just because the combat's a really big focus of the game doesn't mean it doesn't have that standard RPG element of if you've done your exploring, if you've got good in certain stats, you will have found, you can find other ways of getting around it. So you can play this game and be a lot less direct. Mm. Um, you know, because my main character is a decker, I was lo- actively looking for any kind of commu- computer term I could hack into, any information mm. you can gather that way. And and there was a one of the first major, kind of I guess, larger encounters um, if you've been reading up, you've found that the the person you're trying to rescue was going to buy um, something to use as a distraction for this like crime boss's pets. Mm. So if you follow that whole line, then you can basically nullify having to fight three really nasty-looking creatures mm. as part of this extended kind of like boss firefight that you're having in this guy's penthouse. Mm. It wasn't, unlike you say, with terms of the scale of the areas, it wasn't until after I'd finished the fight where I had to go and look for something in the penthouse that I realised just how big the environment was that I could have been, you know, that the entire fight could have spilled out over because we fought mm. in a relatively small portion of it. But mm. like you say, and the, the nice thing about it is the entire game runs in the system where if you're not in a fight, it's free, it's free moving left click. Um, you just walk around. Mm. 
but as soon as you go into a fight, then it grids, so you're moving, you know, set number of like spaces based on your the, the number of actions you're spending moving, and that means that kind of any area is really like could be a battleground, and that's a yeah. really nice. You know, you're not you're not going into these like teleported these strange pre-made battlegrounds that are always very similar and don't feel like they're part of the world and the cover is very much based on what was there mm. and and it, and it feels very real it feels that you're fighting in a real world as opposed to these kind of weird you know linear battlegrounds yeah and, and I think you know one thing that, that really stuck out to me um, that, that you've kind of touched on there is so many modern modern role playing games have kind of gone the way of the first person shooter where they rely on spectacle Mm. Um, and a classic example of this is kind of the transition from Dragon Age 1 to Dragon Age 2. Yes. Where Dragon Age Origins, to me, is the best modern... Um, it, was the, it was the best RPG of kind of th- this last generation. Every, everybody kind of says Mass Effect, but it's just because I'm a bigger... I, I was a bigger fan of the... More the traditional world. fantasy world. It, than... it wasn't even that. It was just to me the depth of that world was insane. And oh I yeah, guess... it was a hell of a lot deeper than Mass Effect. And at the time, it was maybe I guess it's like you with Shadowrun, where kind of all your all the things you were into at that time, kind of you know, um, were just gathered into one place. And I think you know, it, as kind of a geeky person, I, I do go through stages of obsession. And at at that time, when Dragon Age Origins came out, I had just finished reading um, all the Ice and Fire books. Uh, so it was just like, that to me was just, it's just like I'm playing Game of Thrones, Ace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think with, with you know, like I say, with modern RPGs, they've, they've swayed more towards the spectacle. And what I love about Shadowrun Returns is that you actually feel like you are role playing and that your decisions matter and that you actually can approach the game in different ways. So yeah, so um you know, and I think it it's a game that really feels like your choices matter and that you are influencing what is going on in the game and that you have multiple ways of approaching things and without it being a case of the game saying you have three ways of approaching this. This is choice one. This is choice two. This is choice three. You know, it is through dialogue and through situations and how you approach situations that has a knock-on effect throughout the game. Mm. Um, and I think you know, so many, so many. I mean, all all games offer the illusion of um, you know of, of choice. But this does it a lot better than most. Yeah, I'd agree with that because it. Uh, the nice thing is a lot of the solutions, and like side quests and things, they, they aren't, you know, immediately apparent. This isn't a. There are exclamation marks above everyone's heads, so that mm. you know, like these are the people who can give you things. Um, and if you're doing a side mission, there's a good chance that it's going to give you something that will help in the in the grand scheme of things, or at least mm. flesh out, you know, a world or a character more. So it, it really feels like, and this is the thing I love about this kind of game, is, is it rewards kind of exploration. And it's not just exploration in terms of looking around the environment, although that is an important part. Um, and it's done differently in different games. You know, you, you have this sort of exploration in, in like the Deus Ex games. I was quite pleased because they still kept a lot of it dialogue-based. There was a lot of people mm-hmm. to talk to that could give you things. But then even if you look at games like um, 
Dishonored, which I enjoyed, which is a it has a similar sort of feel of game to me. You know, I like any game where I can find vents and mm. and knock people out and drag them into vents. But mm. it, it's the same thing. That one was much more like if you look around the actual design of the levels, you will find new ways of getting to places. Mm. Um, and anything that forces you to, well, not even forces you, but gives you the option to, to, to do that, I feel like has a much stronger sense of a world to it because you're not, you know, you don't feel like you're in a corridor. Mm. The entire game's a corridor. It feels like the game's a world. Yeah, um, and I, I and think that, as well that's wicked. that you know the game, you know Shadowrun is one of those rare games that allows diplomatic solutions. Yes, you, know, you can actually talk your way out of or into a situation, um, which which is kind of so rare in games these days. Yeah, because um, it's one thing that really irritated me about kind of Civ Five, and you know all, all, well, all those all those kind of civilization based games. Um, is diplomatic wins are always so difficult. Mm. And it's like, you know, I'm aware that most people will want to win these games by killing everything. Um, but I don't yeah. <laughs> necessarily. I think that, that's, that was, that's the, I love getting, you know, it's another thing going back to the games I really love. It was things I loved about the song, about the new Deus Ex, you know, Revolution, about the original Deus Ex, mm. the ability to play through, and also about Gunpoint, actually. Gunpoint you know, you get a ward, you know, at the end of the level, you get a score screen. Um, mm. And there's bars whether you, you know, made noise, whether you killed people, whether people saw you. It, it gives you the option as a player to set the extra challenge on yourself of going, I'm going to do this without, without killing a person. Yeah. And, and games that you do that kind of diplomatic solutions to things, it, it's the same thing. You can, you're giving the player, sometimes I can understand why it should be, why it should be harder. Mm. And and that's that's a good thing because you you're, you're doing this because there are some people who are like that's a challenge I want I want to I want to take that challenge up and mm. and then succeed and that's making the game harder is not a bad thing I think some people I think some games a lot of games recent like relatively recently uh, although, although of, uh, you get the flip side of that where they give you achievements for um, for kind of. Um, you know, they get, they'll give you an achievement for playing the game at a difficulty, and then like Deus Ex, where with certain character builds you couldn't do non-death runs. Um, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit like that. I think that was partially the decision to try and make people replay the game. Yeah, uh, yeah. to do to do multiple playthroughs. But it, it's good to see like a challenge still in. Uh, in get you know something that's going to make it a real challenge because I personally am a fan of the fact that I feel like challenge breeds a great sense of reward when you when you complete something, mm. um, and that doesn't have to necessarily be the game being like ridiculously hard by itself, but having the ability for players to accept an additional challenge that that's their own they're they're setting that boundary on themselves. I think can make a really really good sense of like reward when they complete things. Yeah, and and I think the thing is as well is it's funny because um, I really believe in and it's funny because I, I was talking to somebody about it today. But I really believe in trusting your audience. Um, mm. You know, coming from kind of a filmic background, it's something that I, I always kind of had drilled into me, and it's something that I think games designers should do more is trusting your audience to experiment to find their own stories within the world and. The the classic example of this is Minecraft. 
yeah, I mean, that's what the game is. It's entirely yeah. user-generated stories. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, it's user-generated stories using only your imagination, mm. you know, and using only kind of the world. There is There is no dialogue, you know, there's nobody saying your, you know, as Lars would say, the dragon Jesus, um, or, or anything like that, you know, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's what I love, and, you know, Gunpoint does it the same way, um, it presents you with, with a toolbox, well, no, a toy box, that's what it presents you with, a toy box, and, and so it's go play, yeah, and you extrapolate your own fun from that, and that's, you know, that's, that's a really good thing, um, and it's in the same way as, um, films that lack meaning often have the most meaning because you project your own meaning onto it. Yeah, you're not you're not uh, giving someone an explicit meaning. You know, so you're not saying to them this is the meaning, so people don't think about it anymore. It becomes more. You know, they say you you, you project your own thoughts and feelings upon it. Yeah. Um, so so mine and Toby's advice as um, part of a um, games development team that has never released anything. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is this is the best kind of advice you're going to get is from people yeah, who yeah. <laughs> have not completely been there yet. Um, but um, but you see, we're entitled to an opinion until we've released something. Then we lose our right because yeah, we'll much. either be right or wrong. Then so um, um <laughs> or so, we've yeah, made so, like five pounds and have sold out because we're not indie anymore because we made money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, because I was, uh, that always makes me laugh. It, it's the same with bands. Is that people are like, once you make money, you're not indie. <laughs> and it's like, no, just as long as you don't have a publisher, you're indie. Like Mojang is still indie. Um, you know, it's but who knows? But yeah, so you know, I, I think trusting your audience is a very important thing in in anything you do. Just just trusting people. It's turning into the to the uh, Jerry Springer, uh, Jerry's thought for the day now. Just trust people. Um, trust but no, you. it is, and I think um, you know the the most the most rewarding experiences I have in gaming are when I'm presented with the toy box, and I think you know that's the thing is not a sandbox. Sandbox is very different to a toy box to me. Yeah, um, I think off the back of the, the idea of the toy box, it, and this is something that these two games we've talked about this evening have both got in common, is that. The, the developers were good enough to go, here's the toy box, and here's the tools to make your own toy boxes. Because yes. both the games shipped with level editors. Um, yeah. Shadow Ones 1 is very comprehensive and very good, and it is the level editor that they made the game in. Mm-hmm. But it's not as obnoxious as some, and Gunpoint was all made with Game Maker, which is known for being a very simple and easy to use and largely text-based editor. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another thing that really kind of, I've mentioned it before in previous podcasts, the users and the community have the tools to essentially create more content for both those games. To where they both set the, the building box with a you know a toy box of really good game features. The community is going to be and uh, Shadowrun Returns is actually uh, connected to Steam Workshop, so you can use the Steam system to distribute your your levels and uh, or, or even you can make your own artwork for it, so you can mm. make source artwork for the game. Um, but people can then make their own creations and mods for those games, which allow you to create more content for your for the community, and that's yeah. really awesome because yeah. infinite toy box. 
Yes. And, uh, well, basically, what I don't understand is the most successful toy of all time is Lego. Hmm. And, well, no, it's, it's kind of a, a null and void point because the most successful indie gaming story of all time is Lego. Yeah. Because uh, Minecraft is Lego. Um, and it's Lego for a new generation, I guess. But, um, you know, I think it's funny because to me, what one of my biggest things is that I always maintained that like computer games are called games for a reason. Mm. Um, and think, you know, games can emote, they can make you feel things, they can make you, uh, you know, take you to incredible places. They, but mainly they should be fun. Um, and I think so many games want to kind of like slap you in the face and throw lights at you and make things blow up. And, you know, th- they forget about kind of, is it just fun to play? Mm. Um, and, you know, gunpoint to me is, is kind of that very simplistic gameplay that, that allows you to, to approach things in your own way. And it's, it's more about how creative you can be as opposed to how creative the game designer can be. Mm. I think um, it's the word I'd use to describe it is distilled. I feel like Gunpoint mm. is just like the 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 gameplay and the fun of the gameplay is just distilled. So it's that's all you're worrying about. It's all you're presented with. Yeah. Because that's all that really matters. And that's and it's you know it's not just Gunpoint. I feel like there's a lot of indie games that are doing what I consider the right thing, which is focusing purely on that. Is going okay. What's what is it is in its simplest form? Like what's going to be really fun here, mm. um, and what's the and it, like you know it was like the team meet attitude in the game the movie is they talked about they wanted to make the games that they that their young selves would have been super fans of would have been mm. just nuts about because it was everything that they wanted in the game yeah, yeah. Um, and that's something that I think is always really good to keep in mind because if you're developing a game and you want it to be as awesome as you can make it you know, make the things that you're passionate about. And that's always going to be a combination of all the things that you want to play. It'll become some kind of weird mishmash of the lot. (laughs) But I think what a beautiful starting point. And, you know, I I, I think we'll, we'll leave this as as the kind of end of it. But, you know, like when, when you hear Edmund say, I want to make the type of game that I'd wanted to play as a kid. What a beautiful, like starting point. Because, because most gamers, want to kind of recapture that sense of and I think it's why indie games are so big at the minute is they have that sense of nostalgia mm-hmm. and my favourite thing a lot of thing, the games that are successful on Kickstarter at the moment it's things that are going back Yeah, they've got a nostalgia factor too exactly and you know to me my favourite part of that whole film is when Edmund just goes I hope there's a kid staying up all night and missing school to play my game and he just dwells up and I think that's so beautiful because it's that thing of, like, you know, again, we keep going back to Indie Game in the Mood, but Phil Fish said, um, you know, people ask you why you want to make games. And this is kind of my argument as well. And it's like, well, it's the culmination of everything I love. Why would I not want to make games? Like, I love films. I love music. I love um, art. I love, yeah, yeah. I love, I love playing games. I love, um, you know, being lost in worlds, you know, I, I love role playing. I love all of those things, and and this is the one medium that allows me to explore all those things simultaneously. So, why would you not want to do it? Um, 
Unless you're not into any of those things, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not into any of those things and you're listening to this, definitely the wrong podcast. And they've why? got to this point. They've got to. They've got to 55 minutes. Give <laughs> or take. And, and yeah, and just gone. I was about games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was. I was waiting for my lamb tagine recipe. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So yeah. So so um. So yeah. I think you know. We always seem to kind of come back to the same point of just like let's just make fun stuff, shall we? Um, but yeah, no, it's um, so yeah. So if you haven't played Gunpoint, please play it. Um, although um, he's made enough money now, don't worry about it. Um, well, he didn't have to because I'm going to quote what my last like fun fact thing about Gunpoint was uh, apparently noted that his only development cost was thirty dollars for a version of Game Maker. So apparently that was recouped within 64 seconds of offering pre-orders. <laughs> um, I'm sure if you count the time that he put into the game, his development cost was significantly higher. But yeah, in terms of you know, I think I think you can still. It, it's not a very expensive game. I'm sure that you can stretch to it just to have a have a bit of a play around. It's well yeah. worth it. And and I think as well, you know. It's worth it's worth saying as well that six ninety nine for a game that comes with an entire editor is pretty sweet. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, so so Toby, thanks ever so much for joining us again. I'm really really sorry that it was so late, but uh, you've That's done valiant, Lisa. Um, <laughs> I've managed to stave off tiredness for a, a couple of hours. It's all right. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> if if you're late to work tomorrow, just blame me. That's uh, all right. I mean, you're not you're not going to be showing the party, so it's. Uh, oh yeah, there we go. Redundant. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, can say what, I can say whatever I like. Yeah, people can be as late as they want. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so thanks very much, Toby. And um, as for subjects for next week, I really don't know um, because we're in the dreaded summer where nothing happens. Um, so um, so I, I'll find something. Something will happen. Um, I don't know. Microsoft will buy. Rare and destroy one of the great. I oh, know that already happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah. So uh, thanks very much for joining us, and um, I hope everybody enjoys it. And uh, tune in next week. <laughs>